0: We're returning uh, today, we're in a little short series in the book of Ruth, so you're welcome to turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2, that text is also printed in your bulletin and I'll I'll be reading that in just a second. On the very first episode of the Colbert Report in 2005, some of you are familiar with Stephen Colbert, He's, he's hosting what used to be David Letterman's show on CBS now, but on his original show on the Comedy Channel. The very first episode, they introduced. A hello, bug. Um, they, sorry, we've got, a, we've got a critter in the front, and Andy Gruber's going to take care of that. <laughs> Go in peace. Um, well, what's the bill for that going to be? Um, What were we talking about? Okay. Stephen Colbert. His very first show in 2005, he introduced a segment called The Word. Uh, And it was kind of a a word of the day sort of segment. And the very first word that he introduced was truthiness. Truthiness. And this is what he said, uh, roughly. Um, he says, some of you will say, some of you word police will say that truthiness isn't a word, but I'm no fan of dictionaries or reference books telling us what is or isn't true or did or didn't happen. Who's the Encyclopedia Britannica to tell me the Panama Canal was finished in 1914? If I want to say it happened in 1941, that's my right. I don't trust books. They're all fact and no heart. And And he was sort of poking fun at our political climate and politicians in particular and he he gave a couple of examples and then he said this truth comes from the gut do you know you have more nerve endings in your stomach than in your head look it up now somebody is going to say I did look that up and you're wrong well mister that's because you looked it up in a book (laughs) next time try looking it up in your gut now I find this interesting, especially those of you who criticize me for making up words like everydayness and uh, neighboring. That this word that Stephen Covey introduced in 2005 was actually the word of the year according to Merriam-Webster in 2006. So anyway, that's just. Um, but but what does what does truthiness what does truthiness mean? Here's the here's the online definition. It's truth coming from the gut, not books. Preferring to believe what you wish to believe rather than what is known to be true. Now, what I find interesting, and kind of where I'm going with this, is if you saw that skit that he did, at no point did he define that word. He just illustrated it for about five minutes. And, and I say all this because we're gonna kind of have a word for the day uh, here today in our sermon. And the word for the day is Hesed. It's Hesed, and I may or may not be saying that right. But it's it's a Hebrew word, and it's easier to illustrate than it is to define. And I'm going to try to define it, but but what I'm really going to try to do this morning is illustrate it. Let Let me give you a working definition there. It's a strong relational term that wraps up in itself an entire cluster of concepts, all the positive attributes of God love mercy grace kindness goodness benevolence loyalty covenant faithfulness in short that quality that moves a person to act for the benefit of another without respect to the advantage it might bring to the one who expresses it All right, you're gonna you're gonna see this when you're reading a I minute mean, you're gonna see this in verse 20 of our text and the english standard version translates this word hesed it translates it kindness in this instance and, you know, man, if, if, if you spend any amount of time online, uh, this is really one of the virtues that we're severely lacking in our culture. Kindness. Kindness. So we're going to talk about what this is uh, and and how this changes us and how we can become uh, kind people. Uh, but let's read the text. Let me, let me set the text up a little bit for you. If, if you weren't here with us last week or if you're not familiar with the story of Reef, uh, during the time of the judges in the Old Testament, which was a very rough time, there was no king, people did whatever they wanted to do, <clears throat> there was a famine in the nation of Israel. And a man named Elimelech took his family, including his wife Naomi and his sons, uh, to the nation of Moab in search of food. When they get to Moab, Elimelech dies, his sons marry Moabite women, and then the two sons die. Uh, At this point, Naomi, his wife, hears that there's food again in Israel. The famine is over. So she's going to go back. But she tells her two daughters-in-law, just stay here. Uh, God hasn't shown me a whole lot of favor lately. You really don't want to be around me. So you should just stay here in Moab. Uh, Ruth refuses and is determined to go back with Naomi to Israel. So Ruth accompanies Naomi as they return to Israel. And that's where we're picking this up this morning Uh, the book of Ruth chapter 2 this is God's word now Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I I shall find favor and she said to her go my daughter So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed To her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning into the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the scriptures uh, and for what you have recorded there for us. I pray that we would learn from it this morning and be shaped by it uh, into the very image of Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. So let me start here. Let me, let me just give you that, that definition, kind of the working definition of Hesed or, or kindness again. That quality that moves a person to act for the benefit of another without respect to the advantage it might bring to the one who expresses it. Uh, it conveys loyalty. It conveys kindness. It conveys covenant faithfulness. All right. So it, it can be used. It's a very broad spectrum. So what does it look like? What does it look like? Uh, Naomi and Ruth are back in Israel. The famine is lifted, but they've they still got to eat. And so Ruth says to Naomi, hey, let me go over to the fields and glean. The NIV says, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain. So you get the idea of what, what this involved. Uh, in the Old Testament, God had made provision uh, for the poor For the marginalized, uh, for the refugee, for the sojourner. Uh, He showed his chesed, his kindness directed toward the poor and the marginalized. So if you were farming your land, the way this worked is you could pass over your field once and harvest it. But if you missed anything or if you dropped anything, you couldn't go back and get that. You had to leave it for the poor to come and gather from those leftovers. Uh, landowners were also supposed to leave a strip along the outside edges of their field. Uh, you weren't supposed to pick all the way to the edges. And that was, again, area for the, for the disenfranchised, for the poor to be able to come and to gather food to eat. It was kind of an Old Testament welfare with a, with a work component. They had to go and, and gather uh, from the fields. Uh, here's where you see this in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19 When you reap the harvest of the land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, similar message, and then it ends this way. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this notice here God gives a rationale for this command you were slaves in Egypt you know what it feels like to be poor you know what it feels like to be a foreigner you know what you know what it feels like to be without and I was kind to you and rescued you from all this so you certainly ought to be able to identify with the plight of the poor and the foreigner and the sojourner and you ought to likewise be kind to them so one of the ways we see God's hesed demonstrated is in these Old Testament laws that actually required the Israelites to demonstrate kindness to the poor. Uh, a second place we see this sort of kindness is in Boaz himself. Uh, Ruth goes to, to glean and she just happens to wind up working in the field of Boaz. Uh, Boaz shows up and he greets his workers and he says, The Lord be with you. And they say, The Lord bless you in return. This is not just a greeting. Uh, This is not just the Israelite equivalent of our, Hey, how are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. Okay, great. There's much more to that uh, than what we think of in a greeting. Here's a landowner who wants his workers to know and experience the very blessing of God here's a landowner who's concerned about his workers and they recognize this in him a a third way we see kindness here is in the way boaz interprets the gleaning laws he doesn't interpret them in a pharisaical sort of way he doesn't say well the law says i'm supposed to let you glean uh, but you've, you've got enough for today. Now get out of here and go find somebody else to mooch off of tomorrow. He, he doesn't act that way at all. No, he says, stay here. Stay here. And I'm going to make sure you're protected here. Remember, this is the, the days of the judges. These were rough times. So it was probably not very safe for a woman, especially a foreign woman, to be by herself Alone in the fields and Boaz is saying stay here there's not going to be any sexual harassment here I'm going to make sure that you're protected and taken care of here and then in addition to this and this part of this is kind of hard to translate but it seems that he's also allowing her to glean even in a part of the field that normally the law didn't even cover he's saying yeah you can go and you can glean here as well Then in verse 9, instead of of telling her to go and draw her own water, he says, the young men are going to be drawing water. You go and and you help yourself to some of what they have drawn. And Reed says at this point, why are you being so kind to me? And Boaz says essentially, I've seen your kindness. I've seen your kindness to Naomi. I know that you've come to take refuge under the wings of Yahweh, which is just a great expression. And he says, and I want to be an instrument of that refuge to you. I know you're nervous. I know you're apprehensive about the situation here, but I want to help provide the shelter and the refuge that you're seeking after. Then you keep going in verse 14. He doesn't treat her like an outsider, but he invites her to, to come and, and to eat with him and to dip, his, to dip the bread in the, in the wine. It's kind of like I invite you over and say, yeah, come dip your, dip your bread in the Papa John sauce. we got the good stuff tonight. Uh, he's like, come on, you're, 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 you're a part of us. And then he serves her roasted grain himself. And, and then he tells the young man to, you know, be a little careless and drop a little bit as you're picking the grain tomorrow to make it easier for her. Uh, She goes home, most commentators say, that what she carried home was probably about 30 pounds of barley that day. And see, Boaz had had gone above and beyond just the minimal requirements of the law. He had gone beyond what was convenient and he had demonstrated great chesed, great kindness to Ruth. And we're told also in verse 1 that that Boaz was a man of standing. Uh, The Hebrew here can mean a war hero even. It it probably in this case means he was simply capable and wealthy. But but this was an important man. But he doesn't kind of uh, make people around him grovel because he's so important. But he treats them with kindness. He's strong and capable, but he's kind at the same time. What does that look like for us? It's kind of a, just kind of a, a sketch of kindness. What does it look like for us? Uh, it may be contributing to an offering uh, that's taken for someone who's facing financial difficulties. It may be when you go back to school, inviting one of the kids who are not so cool, who are kind of on the outside, that you don't want, really want to be around to invite them over and ask them to sit at your table with you at lunch. We have opportunities to demonstrate kindness every day in our marriages. We have opportunities to demonstrate kindness in the way that we speak to our children. Kindness may involve taking the time to listen to somebody who has nothing to offer to you and who you really, if you're honest, find very bothersome. Kindness involves treating our employees well. Kindness can even be demonstrated on social media. At least I've heard. Um, we demonstrate kindness when we take meals to somebody who's in need something we do as a church there there are millions of ways we can demonstrate kindness and I think it's important to remember though that this is not kind of like well this is optional you can be kind or you cannot be kind some of us just don't have kind personalities and so we're just kind of off the hook no we're commanded to kindness Uh, one of the, the fruit of the spirit Involves kindness. Kindness not just to our friends, uh, but to our enemies. Kindness to the poor and the alien and the outcast. Uh, Jesus in in Matthew twenty five puts this in very stark terms. Terms that, that that if we're honest, make us uncomfortable. Let me read this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And did not minister to you. Then he will answer them saying truly I say to you. As you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Uh, Kendrick Lamar has a song called. How much does a dollar really cost? That I I think is kind of his way of trying to communicate what's being said. Uh, by Jesus here. Listen listen to these lyrics for a second. It's about, it's about him and his encounter with a homeless person who's asking for money. He begged and pleaded asked me to feed him twice. I didn't believe it. Told him beat it. contributed money just for his pipe. I couldn't see it. He said, my son, temptation is one thing that I've defeated. Listen to me. I want a single bill from you. Nothing less, nothing more. I told him I ain't have it and close my door. Tell me how much a dollar cost. He's staring at me in disbelief. My temper is building. He's staring at me. I grabbed my key. He's staring at me. I started the car, then I tried to leave, and something told me to keep it in park until I could see the reason why he was mad at a stranger, like I was supposed to save him, like I'm the reason he's homeless and asking me for a favor. He's staring at me. His eyes followed me with no laser. He's staring at me. I noticed that his stare is contagious because now I'm staring back at him, feeling some type of disrespect. If I could throw a bat at him, it'd be aiming at his neck. I never understood someone begging for goods, asking for handouts, taking it if they could. And this particular person just had it down pat, staring at me for the longest until he finally asked, Have you ever opened up Exodus 14? A humble man is all that we ever need. Tell me how much a dollar costs. Guilt tripping and feeling resentment, I never met a transient that demanded attention. They got me frustrated, indecisive, and power tripping. Sour emotions got me looking at the universe different. I should distance myself. I should keep it relentless. My selfishness is what got me here. So I'm going to tell you like I told the last bum. Crumbs and pennies, I need all of mine. And I recognize this type of panhandling all the time. I got better judgment. And I'm insensitive and I lack empathy. He looked at me and said, your potential is bittersweet. I looked at him and said, every nickel is mine to keep. He looked at me and said, know the truth. It'll set you free. You're looking at the Messiah, the son of Jehovah, the higher power, the choir that spoke the word, the Holy Spirit, the nerve of Nazareth. And I'll tell you just how much a dollar costs. The price of having a spot in heaven. Embrace your loss. I am God. Now I'll let you wrestle with those lyrics and that theology for a little bit. But I think in his way what he is trying to say is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 25. As you did it unto one of the least of these. You did it for me. As you did not do it for one of the least of these. You did not do it for me. We're actually called to kindness. Kindness. Uh, One commentator I read, to kind of paraphrase, says that economics is a covenantal thermometer that measures our love for God and neighbor. Like The way we think about our money is a measure of our love for God and other people. Well, I gave a definition, a demonstration, uh, saw that this is something we're called to. I want to talk for a minute about the power of this in our lives. The power that that kindness can have. Uh, Verse 20. Naomi, Let's read verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Uh, When Naomi sees what's happened, she uses this word, Hesed, may he be blessed by the lord whose kindness whose hesed has not forsaken the living or the dead and it could be that she's referring to boaz but our translation probably has it right that she's actually referring to god himself here and the kindness that god has demonstrated to her through boaz and what she has done now remember naomi last week in chapter one naomi was bitter Naomi felt abandoned by God. And I think you can see in this passage that because of the, the, the kindness of Boaz, the kindness of God through Boaz, or her, you can see that bitterness starting to dissolve. That's the power of kindness. Uh, I've, I've told some of you this story recently, so forgive me if you've, if you've heard it before, but I got a letter not too long ago from... A former student thanking me for the when I did I was a campus minister with RUF at Appalachian State and he was he was thanking me for the kindness that I'd shown him 10 years ago he didn't write to thank me because my sermons were so great he thanked me for my kindness now what was this great kind deed that I did that this guy remembers and writes me a note to thank me for 10 years later well we were at an RUF event and we were short on something, drinks or ice or something that I needed to run to the store for. And he was new there and I invited him to go to the store with me. That was it. That was not like some grand gesture. But he, he remembered that 10 years later. And that's what impacted him. Don't underestimate the power of a kind gesture on your part. Uh, Chris Horn is the the current RUF campus minister at Appalachian State. And and he tells a story that he had two friends who, when they were in college, he said they were kind of a mess. One of them was a guy who was trying to walk with Jesus. Another was this girl who was not interested in that at all. Uh, And one day there was a party at this guy's house. And there was a lot of alcohol there. And this girl drank too much and she passed out. She woke up the next morning in somebody's bed. And and you can imagine she's terrified. She doesn't know what's happened the night before. And so she sits up and laying at the foot of the bed is this guy. And he had slept there on the floor at the foot of the bed all night. He had protected her when she was vulnerable. Uh, He had kept all her drunk friends from trying to drive her home the night before. He had demonstrated great kindness and care and protection to her. And because of this, even though she wasn't a believer at the time, she she began to understand who Jesus was and what he was all about. And she came to faith in Christ. And eventually they got married. Don't underestimate the power of kindness. Well, we've defined it sort of, we've demonstrated it We've seen that we're called to it. We've seen the power of kindness. I want to close with this. Where, where do we find the power to be kind? Right, it's one thing for me to say, go be kind. Where do we find the power to be kind? Uh, we find it when we see the kindness of others. I mean, this always spurs me on. But we find it especially in the kindness of God. We see it in his laws, in these commands to be kind to the poor. We see it in creation, uh, when God sends rain on both the just and the unjust. Uh, We see it in his patience with us, in our struggles with sin. We see it in his patience in in giving the nations time to repent as the gospel goes out. We see it in his providence. I, I think the author really is winking at us when he says that um, Reef just happened to find yourself in the field of Boaz because it's obvious through all of this that God has brought Reef to the field of Boaz. It didn't just happen. It was orchestrated by God. I was talking to somebody this week. He's been looking for a job and out of the blue, they received a call from a headhunter who who was somebody they knew in junior high school and hadn't really talked to them since then. And, and they said, hey, I just thought, given your skill set, you might be able to help me find this type of person to fill this job we're wanting to fill. And so this person listened to them describe this job and then after a few seconds said, I, I think you're describing me. And it turns out that the company that had called him uh, is a guy that, that I'm on a committee with who's an elder in a PCA church, who, in my mind, is, is kind of a, a modern day sort of Boaz sort of character. And, and I don't know where that's all going. I may have used it as an illustration too soon. But, but that's the kind of thing you look back on and say there, there's God's kindness, there's, there's God's providence. Um, that's not a coincidence. Uh, most of you know uh, Helen's not here today most of you know uh, Helen and and Joel's story Uh, Helen's a young lady in our our congregation who has been battling cancer for over a year she was diagnosed about a year ago Uh, she was alone a single mom with with two boys and and God brought a a Boaz into her life in the form of Joel who who said I want to I want to marry this beautiful young woman who I know is about to die of cancer. And that's a a kindness. That's God's providence in the midst of something that's incredibly hard that God shows us, demonstrates his kindness even in the midst of a frowning providence. Uh, We see God's kindness in his laws. We see it in his creation. We see it in his providence. And we see it in Jesus. Uh, Titus, But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The word of the day is kindness. Uh, A word, it's a word that you learn from Jesus. Now go and put it into practice. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be kind people. Uh, I pray that we would learn from uh, what we've seen demonstrated in the scripture today. Uh, that we would learn from the examples of others who have been kind to us. Uh, and that above all, we would learn kindness from our Savior. We pray it in his name. Amen.